Blog Talk Radio. Find me on Twitter at Isaac underscore rivals. That's I S A A C underscore rivals again. I S A A C underscore rivals. And CSR, you know what that stands for. That's Tiger Sports Report. And that's TigerSportsReport.com. Your number one source for all your Tiger athletic news and information. So make sure you go over there. We're running our 901 special. You can get a year subscription to our VIP content, our premium content for only $9.01 a month. You can't beat it. So go over to TigerSportsReport.com. We have a lot of free content over there, but also some premium content. And if you want to get full advantage, take full advantage of the website, sign up, $9.01 for a year subscription. So make sure you check that out. There's a lot going on here in, in Tiger Nations, man. It's been a wild weekend. Uh, Tigers were set to take on UIC Friday afternoon. We were sitting there on press row and um, Napalm. The news comes, comes down that uh, freshman James Wiseman had been ruled ineligible. Um, and it, it's just a weird night. I'm going to talk a lot about that later on. I'm going to talk with Attorney Robert Johnson, Esquire, um, who was the, the, the counsel for the plaintiff in the Oliver versus NCAA case, kind of the case that catapulted the linchpin for the N.O. Bennett case. Um, he's going to join us. He put out a 11-tweet thread here a couple of days ago that kind of kind of threw the city in a frenzy, uh, defending James Wiseman and, and, and kind of slamming the NCAA. So we're going to talk with him and get his thoughts on that. But right, we do have a game to talk about. Uh, the Memphis Tigers have traveled to the Pacific Northwest to take on the Oregon Ducks. And right now we're going to talk with Oregon Ducks beat reporter as well as the host of the James Crepier Show on KRRE 1050 and Eugene James. How's the Pacific Northwest today? Doing well, Isaac. How you doing? Man, I'm, I'm doing good, man. I know, you, I know you're busy, man. I want to take a little, thank you for taking a little time to join me. Let's get right into it. As I said, man, wild times here in Memphis as NCAA rules. Tiger freshman James Wiseman ineligible um, on Friday. James and Coach Hardaway were literally in court a couple hours before for a tip-off and, and getting an emergency injunction that would allow Wiseman to play printed litigation. Um, and Wiseman versus the NCAA was born. Um, so it's been a it's been a wild weekend, a lot a lot dealing with being here in the Memphis sports media. Um, and I think I think this is just the beginning. I don't think this thing's going to end anytime soon. But as I said, we do have a game to talk about, big game tomorrow night. Uh, now, this game is billed as a neutral site game, but Portland is only a little bit, about about an hour and a half from Eugene. 
Um, so I'm sure Oregon fans will travel down to the game. What, what type of atmosphere do you expect in the Motor Center tomorrow night? Oh, I think it's going to be an overwhelmingly Oregon and Oregon State crowd with a doubleheader featuring the Ducks and the Beavers, where, as you mentioned, the, you know, Eugene's only two hours away. Corvallis is just about an hour away from Portland, and that's the biggest city in the state with a ton of alums. Uh, yeah, I would expect the Motor Center to be loud and ruckus, and I would expect uh, both fan bases to show out in strong numbers. But certainly, uh, even though they're rivals, I think they're going to be pulling for, largely pulling for each other. Uh, and the Pac-12's cause uh, with Oregon taking on Memphis and uh, Oregon State taking on Oklahoma. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see that. And I think uh, a long trip for the Tigers. I'm sure there will be some Tiger Tiger fans there because Tiger Nation does travel pretty well. But uh, it's a long trip, especially here early in the season. And it's going to be interesting with a, a lot of outside noise uh, going on with the, the whole James Wiseman situation, which is could, could end up being a huge distraction. We, we don't know yet. This is a – uh, big game here early in the season, and, and Memphis has a lot of press. Don't challenge it. This is their first road trip, and I think expect, like you said, it's going to be a hostile environment. So it's going to be interesting to see how those guys respond. So over half the rotation is, is freshmen, so that's going to be interesting to see. Uh, but when you look at this Oregon team, how, how big of a loss is not having a guy like Infali Dante available here in the first half of the season, and, and how big of a boost will he be if and when he gets eligible? Oh, well, certainly. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's you know, 6'11 plus, 7'1". I mean, he's, <laughs> yeah, anytime you could have a body like that on the floor, uh, it would certainly be beneficial, in particular in a game like this, where uh, James Weissman, where the intent clearly is uh, from him in Memphis for him to play, uh, regardless of this NCAA ruling. But to have a similar-sized body out there uh, would have been a huge benefit for Oregon in this game. Uh, that said, you know, without him, uh, at least until mid-December, if not uh, longer, we'll see. Then, yeah, this is a team that's lacking size. Uh, however, even if they had him stylistically, I don't think they really would be all that different. I think they would still try and be a strong outside shooting team and play a largely four-guard lineup uh, at times. Yeah, they can play three guards as well, but overwhelmingly they're going to probably play a four-guard lineup a lot. And I don't think that really would have changed whether uh, Infali Dante was here or not. Um, he's not, so yeah, they're <laughs> they're going to be a smaller team. Uh, but Dana Altman teams, regardless of size, always play really hard and play really hard defensively. You saw that uh, in the postseason run that Oregon had last year, where it wasn't a particularly good regular season. They aren't shy about that, uh, but they were able to go on that great run at the end and win the Pac-12 tournament and go to the Sweet 16 because of their defense. And yeah, they had an over-the-rim player in Kenny Wooten, who was a great defensive player, but. You know, he was only 6'8", six, 6'9", six, um, but he was yeah. above the rim player and a rim protector. They don't have that this year, uh, whether it was with Dante or anybody else. So they are different, uh, but they're a very strong outside shooting team, and I think that's what they bring to the table offensively. Uh, but, yes, they certainly lack size without Dante. Here we talk with James Crepia here on TSR Live, Oregon, Oregon beat reporter from the Oregonian and James Crepia show there in Eugene, Oregon. Um, you, you can't start a conversation about this this Ducks team without mentioning senior point guard Peyton Pritchard. Uh, he really came into his own um, in the second half of last season, leading the Ducks to the Sweet 16, as you mentioned. He's been fantastic through the first two games. Just just how good is this kid? Oh, he's really good. Uh, he's really good. Uh, now, that said, you know, you can be a great college basketball player and not necessarily be, uh, be, be fit the mold of an NBA player at this point. And that's going to be the challenge for Pritchett in his senior season is, as you mentioned, yes, he really took over 
um, in so many ways down the stretch for Oregon last year, but he was already a significant player all of the season. It would just happen to be more so in that stretch, but uh, he was already significant. And he was a leader uh, before that. You know, he's the only member of this team still uh, there from the Final Four team from a few years ago. So his leadership was already there. Uh, His play was already there. He's just that much more important this year because this is a team that, you know, the starting lineup right now is cobbled together with him and Francis Okoro being two of the three guys back and everybody else is graduate transfer, junior college transfer, and three prominent freshmen. And in order to run, you know, the system that Dana Altman preaches and teaches, uh, you need a floor general out there, and he is that floor general, uh, both in production, in distribution, in vocal leadership. He has all that temperament. So, no, he's a huge uh, asset to the Ducks this year. But as far as his pro prospects are concerned, um, no, is he a first-round pick right now? Absolutely not. He's probably not even a second-round pick right now, to be honest. But that doesn't mean that he's a bad player uh, by any stretch of the imagination. He's a fine college player. He's going to try and make himself into an NBA player uh, by the end of this, and we'll see if he can manage to do it. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely – Definitely brings brings um, some some matchup problems for the opposing defenses. Uh, Coach Hardaway was asked after the, the UIC game and his post game media availability uh, what what really concerned him about the Ducks. And first thing he said was Peyton Pritchard and how hot he can get, and he's kind of hard to stop once he really gets going. And he really got going in those first two games against Fresno State and in Boise. Uh, but but Pritchard's backcourt mate uh, coming over from New Mexico is Anthony Mathis. A uh, tremendous three-point shooter was high school teammates of Pritchard, uh, so um, there's some chemistry there already. Uh, how, how do you see him fitting in this year? Oh, well, it's clear that he is their sharpshooter. There's no question about it. Uh, again, this is a team that stylistically is going to look to shoot a lot from the outside, and he's going to be the, the lead actor in that. Uh, this is a team that, again, lost lost some shooters uh, in the offseason between transfer and, and NBA departure and Lewis King, who – was good, but not, you know, phenomenal from three necessarily, but very good. Uh, Victor Bailey Jr. transferred to Tennessee. Well, this is a team who needed shooters, and, yeah, they went out and got one in Anthony Mathis, who is terrific. Uh, and, yes, what he did against Boise uh, was, you know, that was a career high in points for him, a career high in three-pointers for him. So, no, is he going to do that every night? Clearly not. But he's going to be a guy who's you're, they're probably going to be looking to get anywhere from three to five three-pointers a game from the young man. And clearly he's capable of doing that. Uh, so I'd say, yes, he's, uh, he's very effective. He's there as an outside shooter. And like you mentioned, uh, yeah, the back, the natural backcourt chemistry that he has with Pritchard because they played in high school together and growing up. So, um, yeah, they kind of took a hiatus, obviously, with uh, Mathis starting his career at New Mexico. But they really picked up right where they left off. And uh, he has acclimated himself to the team, the program, the system seamlessly. Uh, Coach, Coach Alban has really done a fantastic job over the, over the last couple of years. But year in and year out, it, it seems that he's having to replace a lot of guys, and he's done a great job of kind of fitting guys in around in and around Pittsburgh and bringing in experience to fill in what would otherwise be a, a really young roster. Uh, Chris Duarte was the National Duco Player of the Year last year. He had himself a night uh, on Saturday against Boise for 30 points and hit nine three-pointers. Uh, what, what are the thoughts on him up in, in Eugene and, and what he brings to the table, uh, probably starting at the three position? Well, yeah, Duarte is also, uh, you know, obviously a capable player. You know, in some ways, uh, in some systems, eventually, you know, we'll see how the freshmen kind of push him uh, to where maybe, maybe, uh, you know, some one of the freshmen eventually 
picks up their game to the point where they're in the starting lineup over Duarte. And that's not a knock on Chris. I mean, obviously, I've only seen him for two games here uh, at Oregon. And, yeah, you know, I followed what he was doing a little bit in junior college, but I put, you know, virtually no stock in a junior college basketball. I'm sorry. Uh, so, <laughs> it's just, I just don't. So, um, no, we'll see. But, no, clearly, he's, is he another weapon? Yes, he's in the lineup. Uh, he's in the starting lineup. And uh, being a significant factor at the moment, he rebounded very well the other night. Uh, that's what they need, again, because they lack size. And, uh, you know, Peyton Pritchard isn't going to be a guy who's going to get out there and, you know, get you 12 rebounds. Not to say you can't defend, not to say you won't rebound, but you're not going to get that kind of production from your guards. And that's yeah. not what they're there for. So you need a guy like a Duarte where Francis Okoro was out the other night. Um, now they're hoping and expecting he might be able to play tomorrow. Um, but especially if he's not, yeah, then you need a guy like Chris Duarte to fill in that void in, in a big, big way and a rebounding presence. Uh, and they need to find a guy, and maybe it's Duarte, maybe it's Francis Okoro when he plays. But they need to find a guy this year who's going to not just rebound but take charges. And that was the latest point of emphasis from Dana Altman after uh, Saturday's win, which was very lopsided on a wire-to-wire route. Um, his main thing was, you know, they weren't fighting enough for loose balls on the floor. And they weren't taking any charges. And that's something that they pride themselves on. And last year, that guy was Paul White. Well, he was a senior, and he's gone. Um, And he really, really led that team on the court and, frankly, had more of a correlation to success or failure when he played well than even Pritchard did. Uh, So the point is, is, yes, they still have to find some roles here. This is still a relatively young team uh, outside of the starting lineup, as you allude to. And, yeah, they're going to be learning some things about themselves against a very good Memphis team tomorrow night as well. Again, we talk with James Crepier, Oregon Ducks beat reporter from the Oregonian here on TSR Live. Uh, when you look at this matchup with Memphis, uh, Oregon, I think, has the advantage, clearly has the advantage in the backcourt with Pritchard and experience. Memphis is starting two freshmen in the backcourt and Damian Baugh and, and Boogie Ellis, talented as they may be. They're still going to be their first road trip. But when, when you look at the, this matchup as a whole, I think in the front court, I think you would have to say Memphis has the advantage. You kind of talk about – Francis Okoro, I saw your article this morning where he was actually hit by a car leaving the practice facility. Kind of tell us a little bit about that story. That's kind of kind of wild. Yeah, all we know right now is that, yeah, he literally was walking out of the arena. Um, so the arena practice facility is one of the same here at Oregon uh, as it is at most places. And, uh, yeah, from all we were told from uh, both the team spokesman and Dana Altman after Saturday's game uh, where Okoro was there and obviously the, the headline and um, – you know, the, the tweet sounds a lot worse. Uh, as I even say, it sounds a lot worse than apparently it really was, which is still, you know, easy for me to say. Um, but, yeah, yeah I mean, I, it's kind of hard to believe, quite honestly, because, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a six foot nine uh, young man who's rather large, and uh, the street that the arena is on, uh, while it's just off a very crowded intersection, um, you really have to be rather oblivious to miss somebody who's that big, uh, whether they have the right of way or not or whatever. So some of the details obviously still have to be filled in, but ultimately the young man's okay. He was sore and he didn't play Saturday night. Will he play tomorrow? We'll find out. Um, But regardless, even if he does play, yes, he certainly is the physically biggest and toughest player on this roster uh, to match up with Memphis and James Wiseman without question. But that said, he's still six foot nine. You know, he's not going to grow four inches overnight. You know, they, regardless of whether he's sore or not from the incident last week or not, uh, he's still giving up a whole bunch of size. And again, he's not necessarily a rim protector or a major vertical player. He's a, a fine rebounder on the inside, but he's still giving up a ton of size there to Weissman. So, dear, you're absolutely right. From a strictly inside presence uh, and vertical presence, there's no way to say it, no matter who's on the court for the Ducks tomorrow. Uh, they are absolutely have a huge size advantage on the inside to Memphis without question. 
Yeah, I was going to say, how do you think uh, Coach Alvin handles that? Do you think he'll just rotate different guys at him? Because even at the power forward, Memphis, Preston two was a freshman. He has some size as well. Him and Wiseman are both expected to be top 15 picks in this, this year's draft. Uh, so you think they, they throw different guys at him? How, how do you think they'll try to handle that? Um, well, defensively, yeah, I think they're kind of go through rotation. Uh, but uh, you know, if, if in, assuming that Okora is out there, I think he'll probably be obviously the primary guy and be out there as much as he can. He can, he definitely did better as the year went on with playing with foul trouble. He struggled with it early, as most freshmen do. And you saw that with C.J. Walker, who filled in for him on Saturday night, that uh, he only managed to play 11 minutes because he fouled out. And, you know, that's not great, uh, to say the least. So Shakur Justin uh, will also play and be in the starting lineup regardless. Uh, he's their four-man, and he is, you know, he was a double-double guy um, when he was at UNLV uh, and healthy a couple of years ago. So, and he certainly had the rebounds, and he did well, and he also had some assists against Boise. So I would expect him, whether Okoro plays or not, Juson's going to be a major presence. And, yeah, they may rotate a bit uh, depending on the matchup, but the key for them is going to be, like I say, staying out of foul trouble because C.J. Walker is still learning, talking about a top-50 recruit and signee. Uh, but that said, you know, these three freshmen here for the Ducks who are playing right now, they were all held scoreless in the season opener. They all played better in game two, but still very much learning uh, about the talent gap difference, about the, how the way the game is played, the pace of play, uh, and foul trouble in particular. Like I say, really stuck out for Walker, but not just him. Addison Patterson poured on 12 points late in the blowout against Boise, but he also fouled out. Uh, so he scores 17 points and has some production, uh, albeit in a 30-point game at that point but he also fouls out. Uh, so they still need to figure out uh, how to play defensively without committing fouls among the freshmen. That's why I say it's really on Justin and Okoro in particular on the inside. But offensively, I think they're just going to try and shoot over Memphis. That's that's what they want to do. Uh, they want to be an outside shooting team, and I think that's how they try to neutralize Memphis's inside presence from a defensive standpoint. Oh, you talk about C.J. Walker, uh, and he's a guy that we're familiar with here in Memphis because Memphis recruited him hard there in the early period. Uh, kind of talk about him and, and what are your expectations? Do you expect him to be a, 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 a big player, a big cock for this team as the year go on? What, what kind of expectations for him? Well, I think the expectation with all three of these freshmen right now who are playing is for them to be, you know, significant contributors as the year goes on. But like I say, right now, the starting lineup is relying on the transfers, the graduate transfers and the experience. That's where they're leaning. And as the year goes on, if they, you know, show that one, that they can play without committing fouls defensively, uh, that they not just not committing fouls, but also play team defense in the Dana Altman system and show progress in that regard. And then, yes, that offensively, um, that there's not only production, but that they don't let uh, a down night offensively impact their defensive performances because that's come up with players before. Um, frankly, it came up with Victor Bailey last year, uh, and part of why his playing time went down a lot even towards the end of the season and why he ultimately ended up transferring because of all that. So I think those freshmen have to show all that. But what are the outside expectations? Outside expectations are always, hey, if you're a top 50 or top 100 recruit and prospect, uh, everybody expects you to play well and be a major star. Uh, but that said, that's that's the outside. Then there's the reality. You know, this is a team that does have those grad transfers, has a junior college transfer, has a Peyton Pritchard and a Francis Okoro. So you could be a top 50 recruit all you want. You ain't in the starting lineup right now. Uh, and it's not merely because of the plethora of talent that Oregon has. These are good players, but they're more experienced. And right now they're just playing better players. Is that going to be the same way in January or February? Hey, we'll find out. Um, outside expectations is one thing, but as we all know in covering sports each day, Really, 
doesn't mean a damn thing to the coaches what the outside expectations are. It matters what they're actually doing. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. the system. And right now, these freshmen are learning, and they have the luxury of the time of learning. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely definitely the key. Um, Memphis has a lot of a lot of a lot of top freshmen here, but it, it, it it's always going to be some growing pains. Uh, even even with a guy like James Wiseman, the guy, there things they they have to learn. And when when you get into a big time game like this, I mean, this is these guys' first basically road trip, uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how they respond. Their talent is no question with these guys. It's just how quickly they come together and and, and how they respond. But another one other guy that I want to ask you about that people at Memphis here are definitely interested in. He's not getting a lot of playing time, but that's freshman Chandler Lawson, who actually played for Kitty Hardaway at East High School and played for Team Penny and AAU uh, here from Memphis. Uh, what, what, are, what are your thoughts on, on Chandler and, and, and his future there in, in Eugene? Of the three freshmen uh, on Saturday against Boise, I actually thought Lawson played the best, even if his production wasn't the highest of the three. Again, Patterson poured on the points late, uh, but I thought Lawson played best. One, he didn't foul out, which automatically puts him pretty, pretty high on my board, uh, just personally speaking. Uh, I thought he played well. He had a really authoritative dunk at one point. Again, we're talking about a game that was so enhanced. Yeah. It's kind of hard to judge. Yeah. But that said, you can clearly see the talent in all three of these freshmen, uh, but – uh, I thought Lawson happened to play the best, even if his production wasn't the highest. I just thought he had the best overall game. Uh, but, again, you're talking about guys where all three of them, it's like, all right, well, is Patterson going to crack through into the starting lineup at some point this year? Boy, that'd be awfully difficult to find a way for that to happen with Pritchard and Mathis in the backcourt, as you mentioned before. Uh, with Lawson and with Walker, perhaps, perhaps, uh, it depends, like I say, mainly with Duarte at the three position. Uh, that's probably the one spot that's the most – open there but that said this is a team that truly I mean I know love I, I don't speak in coach speak but you hear it all the time about like oh who cares about who starts it's, you know the guy gets yeah. introduced and they take pride in it and stuff but it's about the rotation right now the rotation very heavily favors the experienced guys as the season goes on could Lawson and Walker in particular really not even just compete for the starting job at the three uh, or the four but it just flat out take a much larger role in the rotation Absolutely, and I think that's the most realistic expectation internally and externally. It's just increased presence as these guys get more and more acclimated and learn the system and see exactly and get the constant daily feedback from this coaching staff as to this is what they want. This is what their role is right now. Uh, and look, can it get bigger and bigger? Yeah, but you got to go out and prove it first. Oh, uh, well, I'm put, put you on the spot a little bit before we get out of here. When you look at this matchup, I know it's early, uh, but how do you see this thing playing out tomorrow? Man, it's hard to tell. And admittedly, I did not have the luxury uh, of seeing a lot of Memphis' uh, two games so far, uh, it just because of the, the scheduling conflicts and things that I've got going on. But yeah. uh, I know they're a supremely talented team, obviously, and very well-coached team. Uh, this Weissman situation, as you mentioned before, I have no idea what kind of impact that has or doesn't have um, from a mental standpoint on any of these young men whatsoever. Uh, but it's obviously going to be a circus uh, for the better part of not just tomorrow, but probably next yeah. week plus around that program, uh, depending on when they go back to court next, and et cetera. So, I mean, I being that this is in Oregon and being that this team has that much more experience, uh, I would – tend to lean towards Oregon slightly, but I think we're in for a really competitive game. I do. I think I'd like, I love the clash of styles that you see here. Uh, I do like the matchup and I think we're in for probably a one or two possession game late. Uh, and in all those situations, um, even with the more possibly top to bottom talented roster that Memphis has probably, 
uh, I just am one to lean more towards the experience at this stage. If we played this game and saw this game a month from now, then maybe I would say something different. But right now, I've just leaned with the experience that Oregon's got. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely going to be an interesting game. I think it'll be an exciting game. I think we'll see a lot of scoring. Um, again, I think Oregon again, has an advantage in the backcourt with experienced guys with Pritchard and, and Duarte and, and, and Mattis guys, uh, the Juco guys coming in, um, and, and Duarte from uh, uh, Mattis from New Mexico, having some experience there. And you got a, a freshman backcourt of Damian Bay and Bookie Ellis with Memphis. So that's going to be a learning experience for them. And it's, it's a long trip. I mean, they played two games where they were heavily favored. Um, and now this is going to be the first first real challenge for them. So it will be, be interesting to see. But I do think it will be fun. Uh, the field night invitation is going to be at the Motor Center, uh, 8 p.m. on ESPN tomorrow night. I'm excited about it. Um, I'm sure, sure you'll be at the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah man, it should be a good one, man. Enjoy the game. And uh, we'll be watching here in Memphis. Interesting situation. It'll be interesting to see how this Wiseman thing folds over the team. Now, they're playing South Carolina State the other night, so it didn't, didn't really matter in that game. But you, you saw Wiseman. Still ended up with 17 and nine, but he wasn't as aggressive as he was in the first game. So that'll be something interesting to watch. But I think it's gonna be a fantastic game. Thanks for carving out a little time to join us here today on TRSR Live, and we'll catch up with you in the future. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. No problem. That's James Crepia, Oregon Duck beat reporter for the Oregonian, and also host of the James Crepia Show uh, there in Eugene, Oregon. I thank him for taking a little time to join us today. Uh, it, it, it's an interesting game. Uh, I, I think I think the, the advantage for Memphis is so big in the front court that I think they'll be able to win this game. Uh, it, it, it's a it, it's interesting though when you look at it because you got the, the whole Wiseman situation hanging over the team. Now Wiseman has said all the right things. Said that he's he's blocking out the noise. Biddy said the team's blocking out the noise, but that's a lot easier to do against South Carolina State. But when you're traveling across the country and you're taking on a more experienced team, a team that's also in the top 15, uh, that's easier said than done. Peyton Pritchard, uh, who Penny was asked about what worried him most about the Oregon Ducks uh, in postgame against UIC after this UIC win, um, he said Peyton Pritchard. Um, If you watch this Oregon team late last season, uh, you saw how how good this guy can be. Once he gets hot, um, he can really really do some damage. I mean, he's averaging – 25 points a game already uh, through the first two games. So it'll be interesting to see how Damian Bay. I think it's a big spot for him. Uh, people have talked about Damian Bay and him possibly being a one-and-done. Uh, one thing about Damian, he's, he's a dog. I mean, that kid, he's a typical Norton Herd team fag kid who's going to go out, uh, pick you up full court. He's going to give 100%. Um, and this is a big stage for him. Um, if he is going to break out and, and be that guy. I mean, he's been a revelation for this Memphis team so far. Nobody no, nobody thought that he would end up being the starting point guard for this team when uh, when he came in. I mean, he wasn't the most heralded of his class, was ranked lower than, than most of the other guys. He just came in and took a spot um, and, and made it to where you couldn't help but to put him in the starting lineup. And he has a big stage tomorrow night against a big-time player to, to prove his worth on the defensive end. So that's going to be fun to watch. But I think Wiseman should just be able to, to dominate um, against this Oregon team. I mean, they just don't have the size inside. And if uh, their biggest guy, Francis Okoro, uh, as we talked about with James there, was uh, hit with a car, by a car, <laughs> leaving the practice facility 
<coughs> excuse me. I, man, I, I have to apologize, man. I'm struggling with, with sinus infection right now. I know I sound horrible, uh, but I had to come through for the people. Uh, so, so I'm here, man. I'm for, working through it, man, so bear with me on the voice. But uh, Francis Okoro was hit by a car. I mean, he's their biggest guy on his roster at 6'9", 235, with Infali Dante not being eligible right now. So even, even with him on the floor, Memphis has a tremendous advantage inside. If he's not able to play, um, I'm looking at their roster. They don't have anybody over 6'8". Uh, their, their next biggest guy would be, let's see here, uh, Chandler Lawson would actually be their next biggest guy at 6'8", 200 pounds. Um, Shakir Juice at 6'7", 220. Uh, but they just don't have a lot of size, even with Okoro. So I really think James Wiseman can dominate this game, and I think he can get their bigs in foul trouble. And I just think that the advantage there is so great with him and the Chua that Memphis should be able to win this game because I think you're going to have their entire front court in, in foul trouble and they're not going to be able to stay on the floor, especially with even if McCoy plays, he's not going to be 100%. So that's going to be something to watch. But I think this is a game both of these teams are going to get up and down. I think in order for Memphis to win this game, I think the keys are, first off, to block out all the noise. I mean, you know the stuff going on with James Wiseman, but they got to go up there. This is a business trip. They got to go up there and focus. But on the floor, I think they got to limit the three pointers. Uh, you know, if Oregon's going to win this game, they're going to do it from the three point line. And all these guys can, can shoot them. Pritchard can shoot them. Madness can shoot them. Duarte can shoot them. Duarte uh, with nine threes in their win against Boise on Saturday. So you got to guard the three point line. If you can limit their three pointers and you keep your bigs on the floor, if I'm Penny, I rotate uh, all these guys in, get Lance Summers involved, even get. Guys like Isaiah Maurice in the game, just rotate these bigs, keep them fresh, and you'll have with, with James Wiseman to keep those guys fresh and get their bigs in foul trouble, and I think you'll be fine. Uh, so limit threes uh, and just use your advantage in the front court. And, and, I, and I think Memphis should win this game. The line hasn't come out yet. I'm interested to see what that is. Uh, but, but I really do think Memphis is going to win this game. I know it's a long trip. I know you're playing a lot of freshmen, and – it's, uh, again, their first road trip. But I, I think overall, outside of, of Pritchard, uh, Duarte, and, and Mathis, Oregon is, is, is young. They're full of guys that are not really overall players. They're athletes, long, and, and energy-type guys. I think Memphis just has more talent and guys that can do more things on the floor as far as creating their own shots. Uh, now, if you let those type of guys outwork you, then, then they can beat you. But if Memphis just lines up, goes out there and executes, I just think they have the advantage all over the floor except in the backcourt. So I think this is a game that Memphis should win, and I think they will win it. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to watch here tomorrow night. I'm excited about the matchup. But it's going to be 8 p.m. on ESPN from the Motor Center in Portland. man. But I'm going to have to take a break here, man. But we're going to come back, and we're going to talk with attorney Robert G. Johnson, man. He put out a 11-tweet thread here to kind of put Memphis in a frenzy. Um, he was the, the counsel on the Oliver versus NCAA case uh, several years ago. It was kind of the linchpin for the O'Bannon case. First case to ever be against the NCAA to ever go to trial and, and, and be won. So um, he had some interesting points there. We're going to talk with him in just a second, but we're going to take a quick break here, man. I'm going to go get a drink. I'm struggling here with the voice. But thank you for tuning in with me, man. Hold on. Bear with me. I'll be right back. You're tuning in with Isaac Simpson. This is TSR Live on the Rivals Network, and we'll be right back with Robert G. Johnson, Esquire, here on TSR Live. 
Um, but over the years, it, it, it's gained its own cult following uh, where, where I'll be in court and lawyers will complain, you know, he's the piranha, you know. <laughs> it's like, so, it's, so, so it's actually, it, it was never intended as a marketing tool. It was a, it was a private joke between my best friend from law school and me. And, uh, and it, it, you know, it, it was an afterthought because, it, you know, back then nobody did email. So the, so the concept of like professional email names and domains and yeah. all that, you know, no, no, nobody had websites, you know, your domain would be at Earthlink or at AOL or Yahoo or whatever. I mean, that, those, those were your choices. So, so choosing your emails was quite different back then. And then, you know, once, once people started saying that's not professional, it's like, well, everybody remembers it. I, I've, I've got the best phone number in Cleveland. I've got the best email address. You know, <laughs> I, think I'll, I think I'll keep them. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're talking with Richard D. Johnson here, who is a, a college athlete, rights advocate, and lawyer. Uh, kind of talk about your, your background and, and how you got in, into this. Uh, I, I know, again, you were part of the council on the, the first case uh, to be trying to get to NCAA that went to trial and, 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 and to get the win. Kind of talk about your, your background and how you got into this. Well, I'm a legal ethics attorney uh, by specialty and, and um, uh, a baseball pitcher from Ohio named Andy Oliver had fired his agents uh, who were from New Jersey, um, and, and back then they were called advisors, but agent, advisor, whatever, most of these people are lawyers, and he fired them and hired Scott Boris, who's the number one uh, baseball agent. And um, yeah. the, and, and the, the punks were planning to build their sports agency around this kid, and so they were really pissed off, and on a, you know, a three-page uh, letter to the NCAA on their law firm, stationary they made all these false allegations against andy and uh when the nsa investigated they found them to be all false but they also found out that that the uh, advisor agents were present when the twins made an offer to andy um uh, out of high school um and andy was ranked eighth in the com- country at the time uh and and uh the present back then so we're talking 2008 or no that would be 2000 Six or 2005 um, for high school. Um, uh, back then, if, if a, an advisor uh, was present, uh, and, and an advisor, whether they're just an advisor or an attorney, if they're present for a transaction or the communication of a transaction, like we'll pay you 600000 and come play for us, which is what it was, um, the NSA rules said that attorney advisor becomes an agent and uh, if you had an agent back then it was the death penalty you were permanently ineligible with yeah. no way to be uh, uh, saved and so here I am an ethics lawyer and uh, 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 the case comes to me to sue his lawyers and then his dad says well what are you going to do about the NCA and I'm like what do you mean what am I going to do and uh, and then he then he explained the economics of baseball and the draft, and Andy was a projected mid first round pick, and that if he wasn't playing, he'd fall to second or third or wherever, and how much money that would mean, and uh, I I like money quite a bit. Uh, I, I, I I always <laughs> want to know what it's worth. We all do. Uh, yeah. And uh, so uh, the the case was worth a lot of money, and the 
the legal principle at stake was the the ethics rules in Ohio, uh, which is where this occurred, uh, require the attorney to be present and to represent the client vis-a-vis, in this case, the Minnesota Twins, who'd sent their vice president, who was a lawyer. And so this this, uh, 17-, 18-year-old kid is supposed to negotiate with a lawyer from the Minnesota Twins. And, uh, and the lawyer for Andy is supposed to abandon him. And, and the NSA actually said the, the lawyer should go sit in the other room and then Andy can do shuttle diplomacy. And, and like Andy would be able to communicate what was really going on. And uh, so, so the, the, the legal ethics rules say you can't put your, your client in that situation. You can't abandon them. And the NSA rules say you have to abandon them. So it was a right to counsel case. And the NSA wanted lawyers in Ohio to follow their rules instead of the Ohio Supreme Court's rules. Um, it's not so hard to see why, I, why we won. Um, <laughs> the, the, the NSA cannot regulate lawyers, period. And, uh, but they sure as hell tried. And uh, I, I was, uh, I'm not a sports fan. I don't watch sports on TV. I didn't know what the NSA was when I got into this. Um, and you know, I knew what the initials stood for, but uh, not knowing anything about them allowed me to come in with a, a fresh set of eyes and to ask questions nobody asked, like, what's your relationship with the players? Answer, we don't have one. Do you have a contract with them? No. Do you owe any fiduciary obligations to them? No. Who, who, who's your agreement with? The universities. Uh, you know, I, I was shocked that, 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 you know, they're an organization that's supposed to be there to protect college athletes, and their their position is that they have no legal relationship with college athletes. Yeah. And that's astonishing. It's an astonishing statement, and they've maintained that all along. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and as that, you know, went, went along, uh, you know, they hired two law firms with six lawyers to fight me and Andy, and I, I worked by myself. So it was me against six lawyers, and we beat the shit out of them. Um, but I, I was <laughs> astonished that, you know, we were the first ones, first college athletes, because the, the, back in the 80s, the universities sued the NSA to get the TV rights. Um, they sued them for antitrust, and they won, and they got control of the TV rights back then. And then in the mid-'90s, the coaches sued because they were trying to limit how much coaches could earn, and uh, the NSA uh, lost on that as well. So, you know, the universities and the coaches had gotten to trial against the NSA, but a college athlete had never, ever gotten to trial and, you know, over 100 years of NCA pushing people around. And I was astonished by that. I was like, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to be the first test case, and, I mean, the New York Times followed it. I mean, you wouldn't, it, it, it was like, you know, what's happened yesterday and today where my phone just rings off the hook. Because, you know, everybody would say, you know, was saying, oh, you can't win. You, you know, you're going to lose or whatever. And that's kind of like the worst thing to say to me because yeah. <laughs> the more you tell me I can't do it, the more I'm going to do it. And, uh, and, and they were wrong legally, they were wrong morally, and they were wrong factually. And if you've got a good case, you know, I don't care how many lawyers they put on their side. It's really simple. Is a lawyer supposed to abandon their client? And I don't think you have to be a lawyer to know. Uh, no, that's wrong. 
<laughs> so it, it was, to me, it was a very easy storyline to explain. And it helped that Andy was salt of the earth, just one of the nicest guys in the world. His family was wonderful. And, uh, you know, we sued the NSA in his hometown. And there, there's been some disinformation in some of these articles that have been going on. Uh, the NSA can never remove the federal court. The, the NSA is a resident of all 50 states um, uh, because it's a resident uh, wherever it has a member. And the reason for that is the NSA refuses to incorporate as a nonprofit. It has nonprofit tax status, but if it incorporates as a nonprofit, the attorney general of the state where it incorporates can regulate it. And the NSA doesn't want anybody regulating it. The cost to that is it remains an unincorporated association, and the rule for unincorporated associations is they're a resident of every state where they have a member. So they obviously have a member in Tennessee. So they're in, in, yeah. in Tennessee state court, and, and they cannot get out. <laughs> so that, that is a wonderful thing because everybody hates the NCAA, um, everybody. Uh, so you've got a hometown jury, you've got a hometown judge, and you're suing the NCAA. I mean, you, you, you know, the, the, the negatives are they're very well financed. They're going to hire huge law firms. They're going to try to overpower the judge. They're going to file, you know, mountains of paper, and, and they're going to work you to death. But at the end of the day, you're, you're going to get, in, in, you know, the trial in front of a judge and a jury that's, that's going to know what's going on, and they're, going to, they're not going to treat the NSA so well. They're going to tell them what they think of this. Um, so uh, it'll, it'll be fascinating to watch how this plays out. Yeah, it, it, it's been amazing that, like you said, that when you guys were the first to challenge it, that, that they don't get challenged more often. I think they kind of just expect to, to come down with these rulings and, and for people to just lay down and accept them. And Wiseman and, and the University of Memphis and Laird Beach and everybody over there has decided that they're not going to lay down this time. Uh, we, we see these cases over and over, and people just accept their rulings and don't do anything about it. It's really good to, to kind of see them fighting back. But, again, we're talking with uh, Richard G. Johnson, uh, sports athlete, advocate, and, and lawyer. Uh, your 11th your tweet thread, Clement NCAA, and support of Wise's lawsuit really really caused a stir down here in Memphis, man. If you, if you ever thought about uh, getting into politics, you should probably come down here and cash in because you, you're a popular man down here in Memphis right now, Richard. I don't know if you knew <laughs> that. But, <laughs> but, but, I, I, but it also uh, – go ahead. <laughs> oh, I, I mean, I, I know it's, it's all – you know – uh, you know, I've been on Twitter since 2013. I, I've, you know, I, I post things periodically. I'm not, you know, I don't, you know, some people live on these things. I don't have time to live on social media, um, uh, and I don't do Facebook and I don't do Instagram. But Twitter, most of my Twitter people are other college athlete rights people who are, you know, mostly professors in, in, at different universities. So I've got a whole intellectual field of people I talk to, and that's kind of what I use Twitter for and, and kind of uh, comment on these kind of things because a certain amount of people that are reading those things know what they're talking about. And um, so, uh, but, you know, with, with this, my, my, uh, my followers, uh, you know, I got a 250% increase in, in less than two days. And, uh, you know, nation, man. Well, I, I mean, you know, the, the highest I ever got was like 50 likes, and you know, I got 2,100 and some odd likes on this. 
you know, and you know, almost 900 retweets. I mean, the most retweets I ever got was 15 or 20. I mean, you know, so you know, when I say it blew up my Twitter, it, it, you know, it, it, it was an experience. I've never experienced that. <laughs> you know, and it's it's both kind of fun and, and also kind of annoying because your because your devices keep going bing bing bing. Yeah, it's blowing up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely, so, definitely but, know how uh, that is. Um, but uh, but but anyways, get, you know, getting back to the president and the, and and the AD, you know. The, the, you know why is the NSA doing this? You know, uh, the, the high school coach helped out a high school family, a single mom who needed money, and uh, you know one of the shames of this is, you know, how many single moms want anyone to know they had to borrow money to help their kid get ahead? You know, that's, exactly. that's not stuff that, that we want to be talking about in public. Yet here it is, you know, we're talking about it on the radio, and you know. Uh, you know, Penny's, you know, from everything I've read, he's one of the most generous people on earth. And, you know, he, he's, he's given lots of money to lots of people. And there's no way on earth, given his level of wealth and success and fame, you know, he, does, he doesn't need to bribe that family to come play with him. I mean, this man won an Olympic gold medal. He, he, he earned LeBron money in the 90s. I mean, he's, he's a huge figure. And, uh, you know, he doesn't need this. Everybody should be, you know, worshiping the ground he walks on to some extent. I mean, people are lucky to have him there. And for him to be treated this way is awful. And, and for James to be, you know, threatened and humiliated like this, I, I can't imagine how an 18-year-old young man processes that. And, and, uh, and, again, when you see two black men getting attacked by the NCA and – the president and the AD, who are white, standing up for them right at the beginning and saying, we've got their back all the way. I, I don't believe this has ever happened before. And, and you know, the, the, the racial tones matter um, in terms of, you know, we've got a lot of racial problems in this country. And, and you know, if, if Penny wasn't so famous, they'd probably be going after him, too, um, and, uh, you know, so it's – I've called it a watershed moment because if, if, they, if they, the president and the AD, are able to enforce the fact that the decision really is Dr. Rudd's to make at the end of the day, not some bureaucrat in Indianapolis. Because whoever made this decision, it wasn't like Mark Emmert made this decision – it was somebody, you know, five or six levels down the organizational chart from him. This was some nobody who made this decision. And, you know, ev- you know d- and so Dr. Rudd's supposed to defer to some inexperienced young person or, you know, maybe middle, middle-aged, uh, somewhat experienced person, but they're, they're not of his caliber. Uh, so I, I, I think w- the principle at stake here. That, that transcends James is <clears throat> can the, the university presidents are supposed to control the NCA, and we know that that process has gotten warped. Can the university presidents take back their power? And that is what Dr. Rudd is testing, and that is the bravest thing I've seen happen in college <laughs> athletics ever uh, because y- you know the NCA is threatening them. They're threatening Memphis. 
probably everybody on the board, which are other university presidents, are ringing his his phone off the hook. Same thing with AD. I mean, the NSA plays plays hard. Um, so Dr. Rudd and, and the AD are, are not doing this without knowing, you know, they're 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 taking you know taking the stand yeah. is, is not without risk. And and I think even in their public statement, they said, you know, we, we're standing behind the coach and and the player, and you know, if there are any proven allegations, then we'll be responsible for them. And I I really admire that for a lot of reasons, including that there is it is legally impossible for the, there to be a proven allegation here. Uh, they 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 just can't do it. Uh, you know, for the reasons I already tweeted about. Um, I, I'm absolutely convinced that there's uh, no way to construct a, 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 even a colorable claim that there's an NCA violation. Hey, when, you, when you look at the Wiser lawsuit, there are kind of two main points of contention, and we'll kind of look at them one by one. One of the biggest questions is the definition of a booster. Uh, and Penny Hardaway donated a million dollars back in, in 08 for completion of the Penny Hardaway Hall of Fame. Uh, when you look at the bylaws, it kind of says, that you're that it uses the word indefinite, uh, in pertains in, in, in to how long you're a booster after you make that donation, um, and it doesn't really explain anywhere in those bylaws what they mean by indefinite. Kind of talk about that aspect and that that gray area there to, to when you donate money to a school, what makes you a booster? How long are you a booster, and and and, and what what does that entail? Well, the 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 booster rule is is going to be found to be unenforceable, I believe, uh, because it is both over-inclusive and vague. So uh, it, it says if you give money to an athletic department or a booster club, you're, you're a booster. Um, you're a booster, yeah. And, and, uh, and Penny didn't give money to the athletic department. The athletic department is not a legal entity. Um, nor, nor is the booster club. If one existed, I don't know if they have a booster club. So uh, the, the University of Memphis is who he gave money to, and that's not prohibited. Uh, the University of Mem- Memphis is a charitable tax-exempt entity to which he can write off the million dollars he gave as a tax-deductible contribution. He didn't give the money to the athletic department, and, you know, it may be an athletic hall of fame, but it's, it's, it's the be- the the purpose of that is is to benefit the alumni. That's how you get alumni back to campus. It's not a recruiting tool. Kids don't come to look at a Hall of Fame of your alumni, but gra- alumni who graduated, who you might put in the Hall of Fame, are really happy about that and might write you a check. Yeah. So this has exactly. nothing to do with recruitment. has everything to do with alumni relations and plan giving. And, and what they're trying to do with a, with a building like that is to bring back successful people, give them a connection to the university, uh, reestablish a connection if it's been lost, and, and, you know, get them put in their estate plan, get them to start giving annually if they don't. And, you know, if they're, if they're wealthy, get them to make, you know, sizable contributions. That's what this Hall of Fame does. It does absolutely zero for recruiting. And, uh, you know, so, and, you know, I don't, somebody said there was a press conference and they said, oh, he, he gave it to the athletic department. Well, the member of the NCA is the University of Memphis. 
not the University of Memphis athletic department. The athletic department is not an entity. It's a, it, it's merely a department. It's, uh, I, I don't know how. So it, that's one reason why he doesn't fit the definition because they claim it's the giving of the money, but he gave the money to somebody who he's not prohibited to give it to. So, so you, he never becomes a booster in the first place. And then, assuming you know, for the sake of argument, that he's a booster, he give, he gives the money in '08, and he and he helps the family in '17. How long does that go? As you as you ask, good exactly. question. And and un, you know, it's not hard to to believe uh, for anyone who's looked at the NCAA Division One manual. I mean, it literally looks like a phone book. It's it's probably weighs five yeah. or six pounds, and uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, it, it's heavy, and you know if you if, if you have a bound copy of it, which I do, uh, it, it's a big fucking heavy book. I mean, if someone's breaking <laughs> in, you hit them with it, you know, the rock's gonna <laughs> stumble back and go, wow. Um, but uh, but but the thing is, it, the rule is defined in chapter six and in chapter thirteen uh, of the bylaws. And in Chapter 6, they say that you're presumed to be a booster. It doesn't say for how long. And then in Chapter 13, it, it, it says the other version that, that you had. And, uh, and neither of them say, well, what's, what factors go into deciding when someone stops becoming a booster? Because if you gave money in 08 and he never gave another dollar for 30 years – is he still a booster? Are you still a booster? Yeah. Well, but I mean, the question is, n- no. At some point, he's no longer a booster. Okay, he, he's not. He's not making contributions to the school. So, if you assume that that ipso facto making a contribution makes him a booster, at some point, what, what, what if the guy loses his money or? or Decides he wants to spend it elsewhere or set up another foundation or, you know, a hundred reasons why people stop giving. Uh, it, it, it doesn't last in perpetuity, but that's what these idiots from the NSA said, and the, and yeah, the perpetuity rule doesn't exist. Their, their rules don't say perpetuity, and, they, and it doesn't go in for perpetuity. So, you know, what's, what's the standard of, of, you know, assuming one becomes a booster, when does that – wear off and you know it would be after one or two years of not engaging in booster activity i would assume um but uh you know the, the judge isn't going to say uh you know nine years later uh, the guy is still a booster i mean that that's not going to fly uh, so so he's not a booster uh, but you know if, you know on twitter there's still these idiots are saying, he gave money, he gave money, so he's a booster. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, you know, the, the, there's a segment that is never, you know, whatever the NSA says, they're fine with. Uh, and, you know, I can't, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to talk logic or reason. They just want to argue and, and believe whatever they want to believe. And it's funny, one of those people that wants to believe what they want to believe is, is Belas. You know, he, he he just assumes the guy is a booster, and and, and he says, and, and he was called uninformed uh, by me, and he said, I'm not uninformed. I said, okay, give me the bylaw, the exact bylaw that you claim that he violated, 
And I said, I will not hold my breath. <laughs> and he still hasn't <laughs> because there isn't yeah. one. There just isn't one. Well, and, and the NCAA uh-huh. hasn't told us there's one. And, you know, everybody should have taken a deep breath and calmed down a little bit about this. Uh, you know, the, the president could have just said, you know, when, when you show us any real proof, uh, we'll, we'll take a look at it. You know, no, no different than uh, when Johnny Manziel was, was attacked by the NCAA and the chancellor of Texas A&M said, I find no probable cause to believe that he's done anything wrong. Harumph. And only the president or chancellor of the university can suspend the eligibility of a player. Um, the NCAA has no control over the player until that suspension occurs. And just as a technicality uh, of how this works, all of the suspensions are indefinite. And the terms of reinstatement by the NCA is where the terms and conditions and punishments are meted out. So whatever the kid has to do or not do is, is determined there. But the NCA never gets a hold of them unless and until the president, either directly or through the AD or, or you know, whoever they delegate, has suspended the kid's eligibility. And by not suspending uh, James' eligibility, he's not exposed to the nightmare of the NCA. And, and they're a nightmare. I mean, they're just awful people. Yeah, I mean, they really are. I mean, they look themselves as having the, the kids' best interest at heart. They're really – only thing the NCAA cares about is the NCAA. They don't care about these kids. And it, it's crazy that, like, again, that this has gone on so long. And, like, I, I thank you and, and, and your team for, for challenging them back in the day. And I'm, I'm glad to see someone else finally stand up against them. Uh, but when you look at that point of contention, you seem to think they have a – a really good case. The other point of contention is kind of the way the NCAA handled this. He, uh, apparently that Penny and, and the school, they disclosed all of this stuff in his original eligibility uh, when he was trying to get to the clearinghouse, and they cleared him. They come back a month later and say, oh, well, we cleared him in error, but we're going to uphold his decision. Then nine months later, he plays in a game, and then they want to come back with apparently no new evidence and say he's ineligible. Uh, that's kind of their second point of contention, and I think in good faith. I think they have a great argument there. Uh, what do you think about that aspect? Uh, the the NSA bylaws don't provide uh, for them to come back and re-review this. Um, and, uh, and, and we all know without knowing it, uh, somebody dropped a dime that had influence and complained because you had a closed file. He's eligible. He's clo- and, you know, and, and remember the volume of people that the NSA is certifying every year. You know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of athletes every yeah. year that they're certifying, and uh, they don't re- they don't reopen files and, and, unless uh, you know there's something significant happened. Something significant happened. Yeah. And and uh, there's nothing that happened here at all. And, and you know the the coach and and and. Uh, you know, the coach knew well enough that there's nothing wrong with what I did, but somebody could say there is uh, just because I'm now the Memphis coach. And, you know, so I'm, I'm just going to be safer than sorry and just say, you know, hey, I gave the 11-5 to help moving. Uh, you know, he, he was right to disclose that. There's nothing else to disclose. 
and, and there's nothing else that could have been disclosed. There can't be new, any new evidence because there, there's no other facts that exist um, or could exist. So, you know, this is probably somebody, uh, you know, my suspicion is U.K., um, but yeah, if somebody, <laughs> I think we're thinking it, the same, it, along the same line. Well, <laughs> how, how does the how does the NCAA come and reopen in the same week against the number one player at Ohio State in football, the number one player in basketball? How, how does that happen? You know, there, there's, those aren't accidents, and it's not because somebody said, hey, let's go look at this file again. Somebody with influence, somebody with a lot of influence, got those cases reopened. To get, to get James, uh, you know, to, to have a letter sent out that he's ineligible, somebody very powerful moved, moved the, the mountain. Uh, and, you know, whether, whether that was somebody at UK, whether it was somebody else, uh, we don't know yet. But if, if this lawsuit goes forward, you bet your bottom dollar those lawyers are going to find out, and they're going to find out exactly what I just said. That mountain got moved by somebody very powerful, not not by a low person, somebody very powerful. And and, and I mean that, that that that's the kind of behavior that's malicious. I mean you can get punitive damages for that kind of behavior. Uh, you know if the NSA maliciously suspended James, I mean they're going to get their ass handed to him. Yeah, well we we definitely definitely hope you're right here at Memphis. Um, but when you look at this thing. How do you think it plays out? Do you think we're in for a long situation? There's talk that there could possibly could possibly wrap up quick, and there could be some kind of settlement where the money could be paid back, or James could miss nine games, say, or, so, or, or something like that, and this thing could end quickly. How how do you kind of see it playing out? Um, you know, paying the money back uh, assumes there's a violation. There's no violation yeah. here. Uh, I, I wouldn't pay the money back uh, and unless uh, the mom actually borrowed the money. I, I sincerely doubt it was a loan uh, because what expectation would he have it could be repaid? Um, you know, so, and I don't know her. I mean, maybe she, maybe she makes a lot of money and could repay it. But, you know, I, my assumption is since she needed help uh, that, that she wouldn't be able to repay it. And this was an act of charity which was, you know, kind of penny to do, but not, you know, not dissimilar to what he's done with, with hundreds of other people. Uh, so um, uh, I, I, I forget exactly what your, your question was to me. Um, uh, I think you said, where do I see this ending up? Uh, yeah, well, how do I see no, it? Yeah, how do I see yeah, the plan I mean, it out? I, you know, I mean, they can offer to repay the money, but what does that do? If, you know, if there's no violation... What some some poor lady's got to come up with money she doesn't have, and then who's she going to have to borrow that from? And you know, just, yeah. you know, getting back to the vulnerability of single mothers, you know, if, if you're middle class to well to do, and you're a single mom, and you've got family and friends that can loan you the money, if you're poor and black, you don't have friends that can loan you the money. You know, that's why coach gets involved. You know, by the grace of God, they've got a coach who's, got, who's wealthy. Um, but these kind of penalties are visited on the black kids. These are not penalties you see applied to white kids. Typically, white kids are in a situation where their parents can borrow from family or friends. Um, and, and so, 
you know, it, it, it may not, you know, what, what we call, you know, implied racism or structural racism. If you look at how this plays out and you look at the kids who get punished for these kind of things, they're, they're usually black. And, and, You're right. And, and, and that's wrong. So, you know, even if you have a facially neutral rule, if it ends up applying to, to blacks more than whites, you're supposed to, in this day and age, look at that and say, why? And I just explained to you why, because of the socioeconomics. And, and you know, let's not get into whether those socioeconomics are fair, because we know they're not. Uh, but, you know, there, there's a reason that, that uh, she has to go to the coach and borrow. And there's a reason the white kids don't get caught doing this, because they've got other options. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, this circles back to why are we picking on poor mom? And why are we embarrassing James and his mother over this? And why are we humiliating Coach about being a charitable person whose God's going to let in through the, you know, the front door? I mean, it, these are things you get commended for, not punished. And that's where, you know, nobody at, in, in Indianapolis had any judgment at all on this. But, again, this file was closed. This was reopened in bad faith, and this file was reopened because somebody – with a lot of power, push some buttons. And if it goes forward, we'll find out. But, you know, does it, does it end up going to trial? Most cases don't go to trial. Most cases settle. Uh, so, uh, and, you know, the judges always want to settle cases because then they don't have things appealed and they don't get held to have made a mistake. The, the legal system is set up to, to try to resolve disputes, and the legal system is excep- exceptionally expensive. So, you know, from a public policy standpoint, we'd like to see this resolved. But the resolution here really is, you know, I I think Dr. Rudd in the background has to be talking to the other presidents in his conference and getting them on board with, we've had enough on this. He's got to be reaching around and getting allies who agree with a principle. And the principle is presidents control this not bureaucrats in Indianapolis. And if he, can, if he can get enough college presidents, for instance, if he got every president in his athletic conference to agree that this is, this is our position on that, what are they going to do, kick the conference out of the NCAA? <laughs> <laughs> well, but I'm, I'm not kidding. You know, one of the solutions to this is political because what we're dealing with is, is political power and who has the power between the NCAA the universities, the coaches, and the students. And, uh, and that's, that's what this fight is about. You know, James is going to go on with his life. This problem can, will be repeated time and time again. So, you know, if Dr. Rudd is smart, which he is, he ought to be, if he's going to put this amount of risk on the line, he ought to be trying to get a real solution out of it. And I, I hope they are. Uh, so I think, you know, one, one aspect is political. Uh, another is, you know, basic bargaining. You know, uh, you may think you're right. We think you're, you're wrong. Uh, what do we got to do to get this out of here? You know, he's got to sit three games. You know, if they came and said he's got to sit three games, uh, do, do they say, well, we don't think he should, but on balance we'd like it to go away? So it does? I don't know because – with, the, with a normal uh, descendant, you could have a settlement like that, and, and things could keep going forward. But the NSA is vindictive and retaliative. Uh, 
So if you have a settlement like that, how do you think yeah. the is going to treat uh, the university down the line? And Definitely. they'll treat it in a way that won't be actionable but will be palpable if you understand the difference. They will make it known how they're fucking with uh, the university, and, and the university won't be able to do anything about it. So that's, that's the problem with, with, with settling with people that have no integrity, who have no honor, who have no intention of being good people. That's the NCA. So, uh, you know, they can try to sell, they can try to come to terms, they can try to do one, you know, some sort of de minimis settlement, but what they're doing is they're, they're, they're not solving the problem. And the problem is the NCA is completely out of control, and, and it's been out of control for a long time. Uh, so, you know, if they don't want to keep having these problems, uh, you know, once you invest this kind of emotional energy, see it through. Um, I hope so, but, you know, time will tell. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I hope in the end of this we get not only justice for James, like you said, real change within the NCAA to stop these kind of things going forward, uh, stop taking advantage of these kids and the way they use them, and it, it, it's interesting. This could be a, a big moment. Like you said, I like your statement. This could be a watershed moment, and it really could be that, man. But I really, really thank you for taking a little time to join us today. Made made my job easy. You basically answered all my questions without me even having to ask them, man. So, so awesome <laughs> stuff, man. Thank you for taking a little time. Well, I, I, I appreciate being invited on your show, and you've been uh, uh, very interesting, and uh, I've, I've enjoyed it. So you have a good night, and uh, thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you again, man. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely talk to you in the future. Thanks, Richard. All right. Bye-bye. Man, that guy's awesome. <laughs> uh, that's, that's all I can say. If I was a, a athlete that I needed a lawyer, that's the guy that I want on my side. Uh, but that guy is, is basically – He's ready to go to court and kick some ass, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, I, that guy there is – I don't even know what to say, man. I'm speechless. Like, again, I didn't even have to ask the question. Uh, he pretty much answered them. So that was an awesome interview, man. So thanks, uh, Richard D. Johnson, um, college athletic rights advocate and lawyer, uh, put out a thread on Twitter uh, slamming the NCAA and showing his support for James. And, again, that, that's one aspect I think this, this is overlooking. Uh, not only do – you want to get justice for James out of that. Uh, you, I know that's the, the, really the important thing that we're kind of thinking about, but think about it on a broader scope. You don't want this to result in real change. If you're going to go out on a limb like this, again, like you said, Dr. Rudd, University of Memphis, and, and the risk that they're putting up, you might as well try to get some real change out of it. And he made a great point, and, and I've thought about that, and we kind of talked about that here in Memphis as well. Is to, if, if they were to settle, the kind of the, the repercussions that could cause you, if, if Memphis beats the NCAA, quote beats, however you want to use that term, they're not going to be favorable toward the University of Memphis going forward. They're already not favorable. They're going to try to drop the hammer on them. If they can't get them on this, they're going to get them on something else. So if you're going to beat them, you really need to beat them to where it causes real change. So Richard made a great point there. But man, I really, really enjoyed one of that interview. That's one of the. I've done thousands and thousands of interviews over the years, but that's probably one of the best that I've ever done. Man, I really want to thank him for taking time to join me here on the show. Man, still struggling through this science effects, and I'm sure you can you can tell, man. I'm, I'm trying to make it. Uh, I'm going to take another little break here. We're going to come back. Going to take a look back at the UIC game and get some thoughts on what uh, my thoughts are on on the Oregon game. Uh, again, some thoughts on the UIC game. Kind of talk about that a little bit. 
Uh, got some post-game thoughts from Penny. Couldn't think much about the James Wiseman situation, obviously, because he said it's an ongoing process. Uh, but I'm going to play some audio for that, and then we're going to go ahead and get out of here. Uh, but I'll be right back on TSR Live. This is Isaac Simpson. If you want to jump in here, you can give me a call at 917-889-9149. Again, 917-889-9149. Again, uh, we're doing our 901 special right now over at TigerSportsReport.com. A lot of our content is free over there. Uh, but to get our premium premium content, VIP content, recruiting and things like that, sometimes you need to be a member. We have it behind the, the membership code, uh, but you can get a membership for $9.01 for a whole year. You can't beat that because it is the number one site for Tiger Athletic News with myself. You got Brian Moss. You got Mitch Davis. Uh, we always put out new content and follow all of us on Twitter. Uh, before I get out of here, I'll make sure you have our Twitter handles. Uh, but I'm going to take this break and come right back. We're going to talk Memphis UIC, looking more at this, this game coming up tomorrow night against Oregon and, and get my thoughts on kind of the James Wiseman situation before we get out of here. So stay with me. TSR Live. This is and we'll be right back. Hey, Benini. Don't you be a meanie, thought you wanted me to go Why you tryna keep me teeny, I It's a dreamy, wasted it on the genie I got fans finally, and you wanted them to see me I, I thought you want this for my life, for my life Said you wanted to see me thrive You lied, just said to me What you want from me Don't you be a meanie, thought you wanted me to go Why you tryna keep me teeny now? Now they need me, number one on screen You know they used to love me, so what happened, what's the meaning? I, I thought you wanted for my life, for my life Said you wanted to see me thrive, you lied Now when it's all done, I get the upper hand And I need a big bitch, not another fan, but I Thanks for calling TSR Live. Who am I speaking with? 
Hey, Lola. Isaac, this is Rowdy Rod, man. What's going on, baby? Hey, how you doing, man? Pretty good, pretty good. You know I've been in an uproar all weekend long, 5 o'clock Friday afternoon. I get the <laughs> notification through Twitter, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I, I literally sat down and looked at my phone. I'm like, are you kidding me? So with that being said, you know, a couple of things, you know, I uh, really appreciate uh, your, your uh, I guess his name was Mr. Johnson, came on the show and, and talked about a lot of different things and, and stuff like that. You know, a couple of things I, I want to point out, and, you know, with my rants and everything else on Twitter, I'm sure you've seen them. Um, one thing <laughs> I want to point out and the thing that, that I, um, and I've started the campaign, hashtag free James Wiseman at NCAA. Yeah. But anyway, um, with that being said, you know, first and foremost, you know, we've got a university that's supporting a, a, a student athlete. Um, they're backing him up, um, even though he is technically the University of Memphis is a co-defendant uh, in this in this proceeding that's going on right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the one thing, uh, most importantly, is you know, change. Hopefully, this will bring about change. But at the same time, you know, it's it's a lot. He made a, he made a statement earlier. Mr. Johnson made a statement. A lot of a lot of their uh, some of their laundry, personal laundry, is getting brought out there. You know, and you know, it's it's um, it's a shame that, that this has all come to this point. Um, you know, and that you know, I want to think about James for a minute and what he's going through and the stress that it may cause him. You know, and also his family members. You know. Um, and what they're going through, because you know this is not an easy time for them either. I mean, it's if it's breaking our hearts and, and we're all upset. Could you imagine what they're going through? And I just wanted to kind exactly. of bring that to light on the on the front half. But you know, as far as you know, there's been a lot of questions raised. You know, the uh, the, the University of Memphis's uh, statement of you know new new developments came about, whatever, and they were going to sit James, and then they decided not to, right? With that being said, you know, um, a couple of people are saying, well, maybe that this information wasn't disclosed. Well, they they have said it was disclosed. University of Memphis did say it at one point. I saw somewhere where the information was disclosed, but I was listening to yeah. a radio show this morning. That You know, that the information was disclosed prior to the certification or whatever you yeah, want back to call in May. it. Um, back in May. And with that, um, you know, one thing I want people to, and that there's been questions raised on talk shows and this, that, and the other. And I just want to put it out there that I was listening to, I think, I can't remember his first name, one of the lawyers involved. His last name's Fisher, I believe, was on one of the. On, uh, yeah. yeah. Randy Fisher. Yes. And, yes. And, you know, he put it, he, he, he was like, was asked, who was in the courtroom? Well, it was James Wiseman and himself and of course the judge right and penny hardaway and legal counsel from the university of memphis so they're questioning whether the university of memphis knew about this prior to the certification of may may 29th that needs to be put to rest because the university of memphis was there when this process went down okay they had somebody there they even said that the legal counsel was there uh, from the University of Memphis, so they knew what was being submitted. The University of Memphis, the the legal counsel knew what was being submitted, and I'm emphatic in in in, in quelling the idea that the University of Memphis did not know about it until after the 29th. With that, you know, it's it's all this stuff going on. You know what I'm saying? All these different scenarios and things like that. 
I will tell you, I think, Isaac, you know I am a diehard Memphis fan. I was born and raised into the Tigers, grew up near the campus, you know, and lifelong fan. And that's nothing to credit to me. But at this point in stage, if it changes something for every athlete in this country and something is brought about and hopefully the NCAA NCAA realizes that they have to make changes because we're not in the 1920s, we're not in the 1940s, we're not in the 1960s, we're not even 1980s. Heck, we're not even the 90s or early 2000s anymore. This is 2019. Things change. And they need to change with the times a little bit. All you got to do is change your ruling. Don't have on a website, okay, permanently a booster, right, if you make a donation. And, uh, you know, right? But in their bylaws, which is the bylaws, I don't care what the website says, the bylaws are the bylaws, is indefinitely. Well, what does that mean, right? What does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? I mean, what does that mean? So it it needs to come to light. Do I want... You know, family and and everybody going through this. No, does it need to happen? Yes, um, to get to effectively make that change, right? And you know, there was a change made back when when the Cam Newton situation was going on, where Dad took, I think his dad took some money or something, and well, now yeah, that's where yeah. you know everybody's saying that Penny and people. I want to be clear out there that people are misunderstanding. Penny Hardaway, yes, it was a. I, I'm going to say right now, if he was classified as a booster, if he was classified as a booster, he broke a rule. It is what it is. Yeah. Unbeknownst to him, unbeknownst to him, not knowing that he was going to be, you know what I'm saying? That he didn't know yeah, that, he was classified as a booster. You know, like, but that's what was, I've been trying to Penny. say on Twitter. Yeah, I've been, that's what I've been trying to say on Twitter. If, if he is classified as a booster, if they can't prove that he wasn't classified as a booster in court, Technically, he broke a law. Now, he couldn't foresee that he'd be the coach or he'd be the coach when James Wiseman would be right. a freshman age. I mean, it's just – there's no way that he foresaw that. But, I mean, if again, if they can't prove that. Now, a lot of lawyers that I've talked to, and Rich Johnson thinks the same, they think that they should be able to prove that he wasn't a booster, then they should be fired on that. But if they can't, right. then that, that law is broken. But I still think the, the NCAA's handling of it, the way they kind of bungled the whole situation, and again – you say you put the family through this and all that. I still think they should be liable in this case, and I still think he should be eligible after the way that they handle it, even if that is the case. Right. You know, and then there, you know, it's it's you know saying in the in the court documents that were filed, he was given clearance. Then they came back yeah. and says, "Well, we back, made an yeah. error. We made an error. Anyway. Honor our original decision." And then they come back and say, yeah. "No, we're not." You know, come on. You know what I'm saying? If they'd have handled the situation appropriately appropriately, and knowingly, okay, that all this was going on, they could have declared him ineligible, right, as a, as a, a basketball player in the NCAA. That would have given him or afforded him the opportunity to start showcasing himself in Europe like R.J. Hampton. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, do we want to lose Wiseman? Of course not. But we also, I think everybody out there wants what's best for James, too. And, you know, my thought process with this whole scenario is is they've taken that opportunity away from him. His name's kind of gotten muddied out there a little bit. I don't think it'll devalue his stock a little bit. But if he has to sit out this season, it's going to be another year. And it's another delay for yeah. him. You know, and that's that's horrible. 
you know, as far as, you know, you could, you know, say, well, this person, you know, got the case reopened. I don't want to move into that a little bit. This person could have gotten you, you know, does it smell like a Calipari or Kentucky, you know? Does it smell like it, man? It, let me tell you right now, it smells like Kentucky. It smells like Tennessee. It smells like Duke. It smells like all exactly. of them right now because they be Definitely. hating on Penny Hardaway. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they're <laughs> hating on Penny Hardaway. And, you know, another thing I wanted to, to bring about, and there's been two coined uh, this year, uh, the University of Memphis has coined two phrases, Memphis versus everybody, right? And we want all the smoke, Right. I did not know what they meant by that, but I'm getting it now because it is Memphis against everybody. And let me write now, we're taking all the smoke. You know, we're taking all the smoke, right, from the NCAA, from everybody, you know, and, you know, to kind of put light on it. But, you know, my my hope is that there is change affected by this. Um, I'm concerned um, that down the road the NCAA is going to come back and retaliate against the University of Memphis in multiple ways. Um they can still impose. My understanding is they can still impose a lot of sanctions. We could get two or three years, not you know, multiple scholarships and everything else. If we playing for the whole season, I mean, we could probably even with the court order. My understanding is is they could still come back and drop the hammer on it. Yeah, and and you know, and but you know, at that point, is that they, we affect change, okay? And it brings it to light. And then now other universities follow the lead of Memphis. They're eventually are going to have to make that change. And was, is it worth it? Yes. Okay. As a Tiger fan, no, I don't want to see it happen. But is it worth it for our student-athletes to be treated fairly, to have due process? I mean, my goodness, coaches get due process, right? Okay. Why not the players? Why can't they get due process? So there, there needs to be an adjustment to the system, you know. And, you know, I think I appreciate everything that you guys do. Um and, you know, I'm hoping oh, this all you, works out, you know, um, and that kind of stuff. You know, I've been shooting you texts and tweets and everything else, <laughs> direct yeah. messages. But, you know, brother, you know, it's only because, you know, I'm a passion, you know, and that kind of stuff. And, and you've done a really good job and uh, you've raised some really good questions out there. I hope we go out there and just slaughter Oregon. You know what I'm saying? I hope we just go out there and just beat them by 25, 30 points and really agitate the powers to be, baby. So, anyway, man, I appreciate you letting me talk. I'll let you get back at it, all right? Man, I, I appreciate you calling in, man. I agree with you on yep. all points there. Because, like I said, this is bigger than, I mean, much as we want what, what, what's right for James and for him to get justice, it's, it's really bigger than that. I mean, this has a, the, the opportunity to bring about change for, for everyone going forward. And I think this NCAA system is broken. We all know that it needs to be fixed, and it needs to be fixed now. And they have the opportunity to do something special here. And I'm, I'm glad that Dr. Rudd and, and Laird are, are standing behind James right from the forefront. I mean, they, they came out and stood behind him, and they're, you can, they've drawn their line in the sand. They're going to fight this thing all the way. And I'm, I'm proud of what they're doing. I'm hopefully, like you said, there is definitely a big risk here that NCAA can come down and drop the hammer on Memphis going forward. But if it really brings about change, man, do you think you just have to accept that it, it, and move on, man? But, um, Hopefully uh, they they do the right thing and they can can prove that that this is wrong and, and, and we get some justice here. But thanks, man. Thanks again for calling in. Uh, I appreciate right, it. Always enjoy talking with you, man. Talk to you later, brother. All right, brother. I have a good one. Bye bye. You too. And thanks for coming in, man. Great Tiger fan right there, man. Made some some great points. Uh, 
I mean, this this thing could be big. Um, like Richard Johnson said, man, this could be the watershed moment. I mean, we've already saw groundswell support for change. You see the legislation out in California. Other states are expected to follow because it's just broken. Uh, the system, the NCAA system is just broken the way they take advantage of these athletes. They make millions of dollars off of them, and they want to micromanage everything they can do. They don't micromanage the coaches in that situation. Again, kind of spoke to us about when Rod, right before Rod called, a coach goes out and recruits the kids like, yeah, I'm going to be here. Uh, I'll be here for four years. And then he recruits the kid. The kid signs. Coach leaves. The kid can't leave for another year without having to sit out. I mean, that's just there's just a lot of things about this system that aren't right. Uh, their, their rules are, are very – the lines are very blurred on some of the rules. Like, the indefinite thing about a booster. Who knows what that means? Who the hell knows what that means uh, when you say indefinite? It's just a lot of things need to be changed here, and they, they, they have an opportunity. This is a big deal. Uh, Memphis, again, is putting themselves out on the line. But, again, in Memphis, we're a city. We don't give up. We fight. And, and I think they're doing the right thing. Uh, again, shout out to Dr. Rudd, Larry Beach, and all these guys for standing behind Penny, for the administration over there for standing behind Penny and James. Uh, but we're definitely going to be talking a lot more about that in the coming weeks. Uh, but I want to kind of go back to, to Friday and, and such a weird atmosphere. Uh, we kind of talk about how that evening went. Um, I always get to the game extremely early. I'm usually the first person on press row. I get out there and do my work, uh, get my work done. The game was a 6 p.m. tip uh, against Illinois, Chicago. So I was probably there about 3.45. So I'm I'm there on press row, man, getting my work done early. And my, my phone starts blowing up, and I'm looking at it, and I see Woj's tweet um, that says that Leslie Ballard, um, the attorney for James Wiseman, somebody said he's been ruled ineligible. And and and, and it was kind of crazy because I, I knew you. we were looking out of the court. The guys were out there warming up, and you hadn't seen James. I hadn't seen Penny around anywhere. And I thought when I got there, that was kind of strange. But I was thinking, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe he's in the back of treatment, so who knows what's going on. Uh, but the tweet comes out, and then uh, all those media guys, everybody starts to, to scatter. Uh, we, we were writing articles. I mean, it was a, just a crazy scene, a weird scene. It was kind of hard to kind of get into the game. I mean, it was kind of a – a weird scene. Penny and James walked in to a standing ovation. Uh, they walked in right before the, the starting introduction, and you could feel like a, a different energy from the crowd. Uh, people had found out what was going on and the fact that they had been received their mercy injunction for James to make a play. And you could see just uh, the, the crowd is always great. Tiger Nation is always great, but you could see something extra and hear something extra in the crowd on Friday night when James was introduced, when Penny walked out of the tunnel and came onto the court and we was introduced after the starting lineup. That was a little extra, and it, they, they showed the fight, and the university is backing up Tiger Nation uh, by taking NCAA to task. Now, it's not easy to take on the NCAA. Uh, we, we all know that, but it's just not right the way that they do these kids. It's not right the way they treat Memphis versus the way – I mean, the whole North Carolina situation. you got Sean Miller uh, on a wiretap situation at LSU – uh, with, with Will Wade, I mean, it's just it's just unfair. They just make up the rules as they go. They do whatever they want, and it's just not right to these kids. It's not right to universities like Memphis, the 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 at the little kids table, as they would tell you. It's just not right. I mean, Penny Hardaway, they this is direct effect of 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 something. I don't know if it's UK, uh, but it could be all of uh, all of it. I mean, you just look at. The fact of the you know the situation between Penny and Barnes, uh, Memphis, uh, DJ Jeffries first commit to ever 
first commit to ever decommit from Kentucky and John Calipari. He committed to Memphis. You know John Calipari wanted James Wise when Memphis went head up with, with John for James. So you know Cal is not happy with what Penny's doing. You know Rick Barnes is not happy with what Penny is doing. Bookie Ellis committed to Duke, decommitted, committed to Memphis. Coach K is not happy with what Memphis is doing. Preston Chua, Memphis came down to Memphis and Kentucky were two of the teams that were in there. Memphis ended up with Preston Chua. Bill Self, you know, is not happy with what Memphis is doing, even though he has his own problems to deal with up in Lawrence. But it's just not right uh, the way the way the NCAA operates. Um, and it just seems like I know people talk about Memphis and people in Memphis have an inferiority complex. And a lot of times I agree with that. There are some things I agree with that with, but there is definitely a bias towards the University of Memphis and, and schools of that help. Um, and, and they just don't like what Penny is doing. He didn't do it the traditional way. He didn't work up, work his way up from assistant coach. They, they're like, who is this guy coming in here second year uh, getting the number one recruiting class? And they're just jealous. They can't compete with it. You can't compete with Penny and Mike Miller walking Penny, Mike Miller walking in there with the championship ring, both guys 6'9", coming in there with the with, with the, the sweat suits on and all the Memphis gear and the pennies and Nike, Penny coming out there with the, the Hermes belt and Gucci. They can't compete with that. There's nothing guys like California, but they can't walk into a gym and have that kind of presence. They can't walk into a home and have that kind of presence. They're, I mean, John Calipari, those guys, they have a presence, no doubt, just because of their track record. But there are certain things they can't be cool, like Penny and Mike Miller can when, when they're going in the kids' room or walking into the Peace Jam and sitting on the sideline with, with the pennies on and, and all the Nike gear and the business. They just can't compete with that. And they don't like it. The old guard, you can see it from not only from the coaches, but the commentators, the guys like Zay Billis, to all these the, the, the older guard of, of guys that, that are old school basketball guys. They don't like what's going on down here in Memphis. And this is a direct effect. I think this is more about Penny than it is about James. This James is just an unfortunate byproduct of this. They're trying to get Penny. And that's just what this is about. Uh, but I'm hopefully they can get justice. And again, not only for, for James and his family and what they're going through and, and Penny and what this program has to go through, but for the future. The NCAA has to change. And I think this lawsuit has the potential to be something that can kickstart that. So that's definitely going to be something we're going to watch going forward. But, yeah, it was just a weird night uh, out, of, out of FedEx Forum. Uh, Memphis, Memphis did get the win uh, easily, which I, I figured they would. I figured they'd come out fired up. They were heavy favorites in the game anyway, but they knocked off uh, UIC 92-46. to 46. Um, And I got some comments uh, from Penny after the game. Obviously, he said he couldn't couldn't speak on the James Wiseman situation because it's an ongoing process and it's a legal process. So of course, I'm sure his lawyers directed him not to speak on the contest. But here's, this was Penny, Penny's thoughts after Memphis's 92 to 46 win over Illinois Chicago on Friday. All right, coach will make an opening statement and we'll take questions. I know as much as you guys want to ask me about James. Uh, I have to be silent on that because it's an ongoing process. Uh, I wish I could talk about it, but um, we just have to stay silent about it until we move forward. So anybody asking me questions, I'll just have to move past and say I can't talk about it right now. But other than that, I'm uh, really proud of the young guys. Uh, did some really special stuff out there on the floor defensively tonight. Uh, the only, you know, the down, if I had any downs, was again 16 offensive rebounds, but I get it with young guys. When you're blowing teams out, 
start not focusing on the small things, you start doing things you want to do, and we're not good enough to do that yet because we're about to go on the road and get a test. But other than that, I mean, to hold them to 24% from the field for the game, just to me, it's major. Obviously, we didn't shoot free throws well tonight. We shot 90% last game and didn't shoot so well this game. So, you know, we got to clean some things up. But having a young team, I'm really proud that they could just take take their games to different levels uh, every game. Oh, Coach, I know you can't comment on the situation specifically, but how tough was it to, to come out and, and coach after a tough day like that? It just is what it is. You know, we, 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 we just we know we have to focus to come out. We still had a task ahead of us. And uh, UIC, even though they were down players, they were definitely um, capable, especially if, uh, if their better players got hot tonight. And uh, we did a great job on him. So, you know, we, we knew we had to stay locked in no matter what was going on. Hey, Penny, in your last press conference, you said you got to block out all the negativity. So you got uh, how are you going to carry this <laughs> forward going forward? It, it is what it is. We just have to do that. You know, right now we're uh, we're in the season. We're right in the heart, you know, like at the beginning of the season. And we got some tough games coming up. And uh, this next one is the toughest thus far, and we just got to stay locked in and block out the outside noise. Coach, uh, you mentioned about bad habits. How worried are you about that throughout the season as you blow teams out, picking up? I'm, I'm a little worried about that because young teams, man, they're they're not they're not getting the, the the point that it's not about this game; it's about going forward and, and how we have to win. You know, most teams in this, in our league, especially. Their offensive rebounds is a part of their offense, and you got to box out or you got to get in the fight and get rebounds. So I don't like it when I see 16, 17, 23 offensive rebounds in games for the opposing team. Coach, can you uh, just talk about where you thought James' mindset was going into this game and, and how he was able to perform tonight with all that was going on? I mean, obviously, 18-year-old kid uh, having this type of attention at this moment. I'm sure he was a little nervous, but he went out there and played his heart out. Had five blocks in the first half. Uh, they only got one touch, and I don't know how many fouls he drew before the game. He drew like um, maybe 10 fouls or something like that, 11 fouls. So it, to me, he was still business as usual. Penny, I understand you, you have to be silent about this, but I just got to ask, why was, he, why was the decision made to allow him to play tonight, and will he continue to play while the injunction is? In place. I can't I can't talk about the first part, but he will continue to play. Uh, Percentage-wise, over the last 48 hours, how much have you been able to focus on strictly basketball, and then how much other stuff has occupied your your thoughts? Um, I've been able to to do a pretty good job of you know continuing to recruit guys that want to come here, uh, and then also stay focused on the team and getting them prepared for these tough games because every game is tough and every game plan is different. So I've been able to lock in on that. I mean, really, you have to really block out the outside noise and just really lock in uh, on your team and, and, and principles and, and things of that nature because we want to do something special this year. Coach, uh, James got out to a slow start offensively, but Boogie pick up the slack. That's what you're looking for from everybody when somebody goes down, somebody else pick up the slack? Well, yeah, this is the type of team that, you know, we have so much talent that any given night it could be anybody. But we knew that they were going to play James differently. We knew that they weren't going to give him the lobs. We knew they were going to play him physical. It happened all through high school, you know, them trying to take his legs out, uh, push him off the block, not let him rim run, and he's going to be the focus. So now these other guys, you know, are very, more than capable. So if you're going to do that to James, then we're going to kill you from out here. So that's how the team should be thinking, and James should still keep playing hard, which he did.
Penny, as a player, obviously you played in hostile environments, and while you're not playing on Oregon's campus, you are going to the state of Oregon, mm -hmm. and we know how students can be, especially when they have some things that they can they can knock you on. Um, how are you going to prepare your team, knowing that you're going into this hostile environment, their first road game, and again, things that are happening today certainly will be used against you by that crowd. Well, we'll 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 definitely have a great game plan, and we'll try to prepare this young team as much as we can. But obviously, when you get to the game, you can't, you know. You can't say what's going to happen when they finally get to the game. All we're going to do is just try to keep our principles in front of us offensively and defensively. Things are going to be said everywhere, but we have to, we have to stay focused on what we're doing. Uh, all right, Penny. Um, maybe a conversation, maybe during the start of the season. Um, today, we've seen a lot of rotation going on with these young guys. And with so much talent, it looked like you're handling it well. Uh, but my question to you is, do you actually have a starting lineup or you just go with the flow every game? Well, yeah, this is our starting lineup right now. You know, like I said last game, obviously DJ Jeffries, Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris, those guys. Alex Lomax and Tyler Harris started 10 games, 11 games last year and played a lot of minutes. DJ Jeffries was in the starting lineup. It's just all about groups. And I think right now we have a good starting lineup and the, and the group coming off the bench is really good as well. And, um, you know, tonight everybody played because when you're blowing teams out, you got to see where everybody is. It's not going to be a steady diet of one or two guys in these type of games. Penny, how many guys do you think you have that are elite room protectors down low that can help you on the defensive end? Well, obviously James for sure. Precious. Uh, we're trying to get Lance Thomas to be more of that, and we're trying to get DJ Jeffries to be more of that guy cause with his athleticism. The guys that have the most athleticism, we're trying to get them to rim protect. And, um, you know, they they blocked 15 shots last game. This game it was only eight. But, um, you know, that's something that we're going to have to continue to work on because we have to rim protect for sure, especially if we're going to get up and press the way we want to. Benny, you've been in a similar situation with James before this time around. When you're dealing with this cloud, where, where are you at, like, in terms of your spirit, the way you're dealing with this? Like, are you, are you like, well, like, I'm human. This? I'm human, so, but we're just, we're dealing with it as we move along. So, like I said, I've been through this before, so you just have, you have to deal with it. I think I'm doing fine with it. Um, Damien, Damien started tonight, but he only played 13 plus minutes. Was that just kind of your field, the way uh, Alex and uh, Boogie were playing tonight? Or no, actually, he got into foul trouble early, and I think he only played two minutes the first half. I think 11 or 11 minutes in the second half, and it's just the flow of the game. It was a 40, 50 point lead. You know, it's time for other people to play. I mean, Damian understands that it's all about sacrifice on this team. Obviously, in bigger games, more guys, five or six guys might play more, but in these type of games, you gotta you gotta play everybody. Hey, coach, uh, uh, who has game plan against Oregon, and what scares you about Oregon? Um, Cody Topper, Coach Topper has the game plan against Oregon, and what scares me about them is. Peyton Pritchard, you know, he's a guy that can go for 40 points. You know, he showed that last year in the, in the, in the Pac-12 tournament and in the NCAA tournament. He he can get going. And um, he's a dangerous player. They set a lot of screens for him. And uh, he's not the only player on the team, but he's definitely the head of the snake, and he scares, he scares us for sure. Got time for one more. Coach, um, just today, how would you describe your overall emotional state? Just like a uh, like roller coaster, you know, like – I guess you can say that. I guess you can say roller coaster. But we knew we had a game, you know. And as the coach of this team and the leader of this team, 
you have to snap out of whatever it is as fast as you can, and then be be ready to be ready to coach. And the guys performed great tonight. Uh, we had a great game plan in with Coach Miller, and you know earlier in the days, you know you're trying to figure out how to do things for the guys and to get them comfortable, and you know, but it, it was it was a roller coaster day. Thank you. Thank you. That was Coach Pitty Hardaway after the game uh, against the win, against the 9246 win over UIC. You could see it on Coach Coach's face. It, it was a tough day for him. Uh, we, we, you could see it as soon as he walked into the press office. And you can imagine, I mean, literally – a couple of hours before tip off, him, him and James and the legal team was at court trying to get to the emergency injunction. So uh, just a, a, a weird night at, at FedEx Forum, but I'm hoping that they can block out all the noise, like kind of, kind of Penny says, and lock in and, and and go up there to to Portland and get this win tomorrow night. Um, I think it's an opportunity to you you want them to fight back in the courtroom, and I think on a national stage here tomorrow night, they got an opportunity to make a statement on the floor that this is not going to hold hold them down. Um, I think the NCAA, again, it goes back to the inferiority or complex, but the, the NCAA, I don't feel like they want Memphis to be in a position to where they're contending for championships. They're just not supposed to be there. I mean, it, and that's just kind of what it is. And that I think they have an opportunity to go on a national stage and win a big game tomorrow night. I mean, I think that would be a, a pretty big statement. But kind of look through the box score uh, of the win on their second win on Friday. Uh, Damian Bog, I kind of I asked Penny about his playing time. He did pick up two early fouls. Um, he ended up playing 14 minutes total. Uh, did not score. Did have two rebounds, four assists, in a block in the game. Only took one shot. Uh, so, uh, kind of an uncharacteristic of what we've seen from Damian Bog. Uh, but he's gonna have to play play a lot better than that uh, tomorrow night against uh, Peyton Pritchard. But I, I think again, it's a big opportunity for him. Uh, you, you kind of talk about can he be a guy? That kind of surprises some people that end up being a one and done. If that's going to be the case, he has a chance on the national stage to go up against a big time player tomorrow night. And if he can show his prowess on the defensive end, we know about that that dog in him. Uh, I think he's going to be up for that matchup against Pritchard tomorrow night. Boogie Ellis had his coming out party on Friday. Big time, big time game. 22 points, a rebound, two assists, two steals, six and nine from three. Was six for six in the first half before before he missed one. He missed that one in the corner. Uh, 8-11 overall um, in a team high 27 minutes. And we, people kind of started to worry about Boogie. Was he going to be uh, – was he actually going to live up uh, to that that his height, uh, to his ranking uh, coming into the season? But I think he showed in, in that game, even though it's just Illinois-Chicago, I think he showed what what he could do when he gets going uh, because his his jump shot, I mean, he was knocking down from Collierville. He looked good out there uh, shooting that three. Um, I, I, I think the basket – Look like a like the ocean to him um, out there because he he made it look easy out there on Friday. Um, that's the key on it. It's been a struggle for him, uh, but it was good to kind of see him get some threes to finally fall this game. He played 22 minutes. He had six points, four rebounds, six assists, uh, which is good to see. And I like I like the, when Lester's on the ball. He makes good decisions. He can definitely push push the ball and bring the ball up the floor for Memphis. But again, two of five from three, two of six overall in 22 minutes. So a solid game. Uh, for him, it's just good to see his two threes. It's good to see his some three-pointers finally falling for him. President Chua, uh, he's been good. I don't know if you'd say he's looked like so much better than everyone else, and he looks like this top 10, top 15 uh, NBA player. But a uh, solid game for him is 10 points, uh, seven rebounds, a block 
or one from downtown five and nine overall in 22 minutes. Uh, James Wiseman, it, 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 this this line shows you just how talented he is because he wasn't really looking for to score in this game. He was, he was really looking to get his teammates involved and just kind of being a presence out there on the floor on both on, on both ends of the floor. But even so, still had 17 points, nine rebounds, a steal, five blocks. I was 9 of 14 from the free throw line, 4 of 4 from the field overall in 25 minutes. So, again, another big night for James Wiseman, even when a game where you could tell that he was clearly uh, possibly, possibly thinking about, not possibly, clearly thinking about the situation uh, that was going on. It was kind of passive out there. And you can be passive and still end up with 17, 9, 5 blocks. That's, that's pretty amazing. That shows you and just a testament to his talent. Uh, DJ Jeffries, uh, I've told you, all off season and coming through the first two games, how much I love his game. Uh, excuse me. Uh, he's coming off the bit. Uh, big, big night for him. 14 points, four rebounds, two steals, two of five for three, five and nine overall uh, in 24 minutes off the bench. Uh, really, really good overall game. Again, Finney called it multi-talented does a day in his media availability. And he, he can definitely do that. A guy that can fill the stat sheet, uh, can knock it down from three. He can handle the ball. He can play with his back to the basket. He can face up. He's a good defender. Um, his three-point shot is ever improving. Um, so a good game. Good to have, see him have a good game. And I, I, if I'm pity, I think I start him at the three tomorrow night. But we'll see if Lester Keones is still in that lineup. But I, I definitely want to see Lester get his three going. But I think Lester could be a guy who can, can kind of be a spark plug for you off the bench to kind of bring some of that shooting. And I think also when you have Damian and Boogie on the floor, DJ is a guy that that, that needs the basketball. Uh so I mean I think it's, it's so so that's that's kind of the reason why I think Kenny is breaking about the bench because DJ is a guy that kind of needs the basketball and you got two ball handlers and Bob Ellis on the floor I think it's kind of kind of hard so it, it, that may be the reason why he's breaking about the bench but I would like to see him in that starting lineup but that's going to be something to to watch going forward I mean he could be that guy off the bench for these guys to kind of come in and leader be that guy on the ball. Uh, for the guys off the bench. But speaking of guys off the bench, uh, it was really good to see uh, the two sophomores, uh, Tyler Harris and Alex Lomax, both had really good games. Uh, Tyler's shot hadn't been falling, uh, was falling in this game, but he had 11 points, three rebounds, three assists, three or four from three, uh, three or four from the field overall in 24 minutes. And that's the thing about Tyler. If Tyler's not knocking down his shot, knocking down a three-pointer, it's kind of hard for him to get minutes on this team. You, you want to see him doing some of the other things, like grabbing rebounds, getting assists. And, and I think he did that uh, I mean, in this game and really, really had great production in his 24 minutes. Uh, a really good game for Alex Lomax. Alex Lomax has come in. I, I know going into the season, he was kind of thought of, of going to be the guy that would, would, would kind of lose out in, in this middle battle in the guard rotation. But he's come in and, and played really well and kind of been that steady and force for Penny. Uh, he had 9.6 rebounds, five assists, a block, one on one from downtown, four or six overall in 24 minutes. Just fantastic. I mean, just a leader for this team, and, and you can see how he comes down this offense when he comes into the game. So big time overall. I mean, you you got to love that six rebounds, five assists, only one turnover, even at a block. So uh, really, really nice to see what Alo has been doing here through the early season. Uh, Zayn Hardaway played uh, eight minutes. He had two points, one assist, one or two for the field. Uh, Lance Thomas has been a guy who. You, you kind of expect more from Penny. has said he's been kind of disappointed in his play. Uh, only played five minutes. Uh, did not score. Did grab three rebounds. One assist. 0-1 from the field. 
Um, Isaiah Maurice played three minutes, had one point uh, going one of two from the free throw line. Ryan Boyce played two minutes, did not score, did grab one rebound, only took one shot. So uh, a pretty dominant performance overall for the for the Tigers. But, again, I love what I saw out of Tyler Harris, Alex Lomax in this game. Of course, C.J. Jeffries and, and Boogie Ellis had himself a night, and they're definitely going to need some of that three-point shooting uh, tomorrow night when they take on a team with Oregon that loves to get up and down, and they're going to want to out-shoot the Tigers from the three-point line. That's the only way they're going to win this game because Memphis has such a size advantage. That's the only that's the only way I think they can beat them. So, Boogie, uh, hopefully that's something that we're going to see from him going forward because he looked fantastic on, on Friday night. But we're about to run out of time here. Man. Special thanks to James Crepia, uh, Oregon Duck, beat reporter for the Oregon Gunning and also host of the James Crepia Show up there, K-R-O-E, in, uh, in Eugene, Oregon, for joining me here to get his insight and perspective on the Oregon Duck. And I definitely want to thank Richard G. Johnson, man. Uh, parental advisory and specific lyrics, I had to put that on there. Uh, but <laughs> the guy was fantastic, man. Uh, I didn't feel like it was this easy. You, you love when you have guests where you don't even have to ask questions. I could have just sat back and, and, and popped myself up on a pillow, man, and listened to him talk. Um, fantastic stuff there. If, if I needed a lawyer, that's the guy that I wanted on my side, the guy I'd want. Uh, but he, he was fantastic. So make sure, uh, Tiger Nation, you go over and follow him. I mean, he's doing God's work out there, man. At Piranha RGJ, P-I-R-A-N-H-A-R-G-J uh, on Twitter. Uh, but I, I told him, man, he could he could run for office here in Memphis right now because he's a really popular man down here in the Bluff City. So thanks to Richard G. Johnson for joining me. But, again, man, uh, big game coming up tomorrow night, 8 p.m. for the Oregon Ducks. I think it's an opportunity for the Tigers to make a statement. Uh, we're gonna, definitely going to be tuned into that. And November 18th, uh, I think that's next Monday, will be the next hearing for in the, in the next big uh, check mark or check point in the James Wiseman saga. So James will be able to play tomorrow night. He will definitely be able to play Saturday against Alcorn. And I think I think he ends up being able to play all year. I think he'll continue to get injunctions. And, and I think they have a great shot of winning this. I've said as much on Twitter, uh, but we're going to watch this thing play out. It's hopefully between the lines on the court that it doesn't really affect them and they can drown out all the noise, as Finney said, man. But you can follow me on Twitter at Isaac underscore Rivals. That's I-S-A-A-C underscore Rivals. You can follow my man Brian Moss, the editor and founder of our great website, TigerSportsReport.com, on Twitter at Rivals B Moss, R-I-V-A-L-S, the letter B-M-O-S-S. And you can follow our guy Mitch Davis on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore H, M-I-T-C-H-D-A-V-I-S underscore H. Always got great content over there. Come over there, man. We got our 901 deal going on. You can get a full year of our premium VIP subscription for $9.01. You can't beat it. So go over to TigerSportsReport.com. Check out all the free stuff we have on over there. Get on the message board, but also sign up for our premium site as well. Uh, so if you miss this, man, and you join us late, you can always check this out on iTunes, Stitcher, and the TuneIn app. Just search TigerSportsReport.com. Hit the subscribe button. You'll find this episode uh, probably about 15 minutes after it concludes and all our other older podcasts archived there. Other than that, again, special thanks to James Crepier, uh and to Richard G. Johnson. Other than that, man, enjoy the game tomorrow night. We'll definitely be talking to about that throughout the week. Uh, Tigers moved up to number 13 today. Uh, the football team's 18 in both polls. Um, they'll take on Houston 2.30 p.m. on Saturday. Memphis basketball, of course, went tomorrow night against Oregon, 1 p.m. against Alcorn on Saturday. Other than that, other than that, I'm gone.
Thanks for joining me, Tiger Nation.